weapons bound for Taiwan end up in Ukraine. Demographics drive power in Asia with China no longer growing at all and maybe not number one in population. And go woke, go broke. Why is Eminem going woke? Also, a Gallagher committee in Congress poises, is poised to take on China. Welcome to Simon and Whiten. I'm Christian Whiten. We're joined as always by Mark Simon. Mark, say hello. Hello, everybody. Mark, looks like you're in New Jersey today. How's that? Cold over there? It's better than London was two weeks, a week ago in Canada. We're over there uh, doing a number of things, but uh, what did you think? They've, they've had more prime ministers than, oh, <laughs> than, than, you know, in the previous decade, it seems, in the last couple of years. I think the problem with the Brits is they've lost their way. I just, I saw somebody say the other day that the Brits, they, they say the Brits, you know, they're a, a mouse that roared or something like that. They don't really understand. No, Britain is still a lion. It's, it's, it really is a, a very strong, powerful force in the world. The problem is the Brits don't believe that anymore. That's the problem. They spend so much time navel-gazing about every single thing. I've never seen anything like it. they got a first-rate military, need some upgrading, no doubt about it. they got a really first-rate legal system. That's fun to be proud of. they got a wonderful, efficient export machine. And they are very good at what they do in terms of culture and all these things. Yet... Everybody over there is like, whoa, is me and this and that. And I'm telling you, it's like Pajama Boy took over over there. It's like, you know, one night they all went to bed and they came out in Pajama Boy. Both parties, they're a bunch of wimps. I've never seen anything like it. And they've got all these great things going. I mean, it's a fantastic country, but it's like it's it's all these weak naval gays. I mean, the funny thing is, like, I was having drinks in a bar by myself and I was having lunch lovely pub. I was just enjoying myself. I had an FT in paper. And these, of course, in the UK, people start talking to you and I'm talking to them. And, you know, um, they asked, they were asking me the same questions. And essentially, they were basically, you know, well-educated. I would say laborers would be the best way to take this, these, these young people. You know, they all had blue collar jobs. And I'm like, you know, and, and I was like, wow, that's really you know, they're sitting there enjoying themselves, having a good time. Uh, technicians or whatever it was, electrical, electrical technicians. One guy was a lighting technician for a, 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 a movie, a play company or some theater company. But the one thing is I made that point to them and they thought about it. And then they started regaling me with stories of all their woke and weak friends that they had. And it was pretty interesting because it wasn't like three white guys. It was like an Indian guy. Uh, two white guys and a, uh, 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 where was that woman from? She was from Barbados or the Dominican Republic. I can't remember, but she was very nice. But they were like, I mean, I felt that was the crowd from Great Britain from 1944, you know, and then you, you look around the rest of the country or watch TV and it's like, where do these people come from? Especially the police department. My God, those guys were terrible. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's weird. You know, even during when um, under Blair and I understand Tony Blair is sort of dislike both on left and right, but uh, was willing to accept Britain's role as a major power, not a superpower. And if you look, their GDP has never been larger. Now, the percentage of world GDP they have this year is is much less than they had in, say, the 1930s or the 1910s, obviously. But um, they have the capacity to do so much. And it seems like it's so ingrained in their mindset that that decline, uh, the loss of empire 
and you know, not realizing that beginning with Thatcher that they, they got something more valuable. First of all, an empire costs you money. That you know, never made anyone any money, I don't think. Maybe you know, uh, you had to get something from India and Germany and France were gonna make sure you didn't get it from anywhere else. I don't know, you know that's ancient history now, but um, they could be very, very significant and they could embrace post-Brexit. You know, we're, we're, we're looking more at the United States, the Americas and Asia, um, but they just seem to sort of a lot of them get back into this um, this uh, small ball mindset. They're politicians, not their people. It's weird. It, it's 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 very true. You know, just one of the things I just tell people, I said, look, here's one of my gauges. Who spends more time trying to influence the Brits, the Saudis, the Russians and the Chinese and even the Iranians a little bit. But the Saudis, the Russians, and the Chinese spend a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort trying to do one thing, keep the Brits from really rising up and being, you know, true allies to the U.S. or leading causes against them. Because I know whether it's historically and they have, you know, some guy in Russia sleeping at night and can't, you know, goes has nightmares about, you know, British troops or something like that. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, is, is the UK matters and it counts. Problem is they don't think that, you know, it's kind of, I told somebody, it's kind of like watching like a big old lumbering bear that has no idea how strong it is. You know what I'm saying? And the moment somebody says, boo, it runs away from the honey hive because it's scared. Hopefully one day that bear will decide that it doesn't have to run away from the honey hive anymore. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Anyway, yeah. that's my, I don't, I don't think we planned on talking about that, but, well, yeah, yeah, it, didn't, but it was interesting. Your, your field trip to London. <laughs> um, yeah, trip. However, speaking of Russia, uh, it seems like we keep hearing the story more and more. I think you reported it anecdotally early before it turned up in newspapers, but that weapons that were already promised to Taiwan that they paid for, again, this is not stuff that we're having to pay for out of the U.S. Treasury as we are with so many allies, the stuff that Taiwanese paid for, um, not big high-tech stuff. We're not talking F-35 fighters. We're talking harpoon missiles that can be land-based and shoot uh, landing craft that might be coming across the Taiwan Strait. I don't know about that specifically. A lot of the anti-tank stuff, uh, a lot of the infantry weapons is ending up in Ukraine and not ending up in Taiwan. Yeah. I mean, HIMARS, artillery pieces, uh, rifles, uh, electronic gear, everything. Look, before I left Taiwan and came back last time, you know, I, I have my little walking group that goes around and it's some active, some inactive, you know what I'm saying? Cigar buddies and all that stuff. And they were complaining already. They were saying like nothing's showing up. Like every, we bought everything that they're Taiwanese being Taiwanese. They're like, and we paid for the damn stuff. You know what I'm saying? We're sending money, putting down payments and nothing's moving because everything's going to Ukraine. And I, I am, um, you know, I, I think this is a, is a big problem. It's, it's a big issue. I think we're starting, going to start seeing, um, a real degradation of our relationship with the Taiwanese confidence levels if we don't start getting some stuff over there. There's, it's, there's no reason we, we're sending 31 M1 tanks to the, uh, to, the, uh, to, the, uh, to the Ukrainians. We should send 10 or 15 just to the Taiwanese so they can start practicing with them. You know what I'm saying? Get the Singaporeans to loan them 10 or 15 tanks because the Singaporeans, whatever they have, they, no, they don't have M1s. You know, there are the Japanese or whoever it is. But the fact of the matter is we complain all the time about the Taiwanese, which could most of the time we're right. But the fact is you got to send them the weapons. You got to let them play with them a little bit before they have to use them, you know. And 
it's just it's 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 bad for our national security. And I make the case continually, and I'll die on that hill that the fact of the matter is the defense of Taiwan and the and the Pacific and dealing with China is far more crucial to U.S. national security than Ukraine taking back territory. I think as long as Ukraine survives, I think that's what matters. But the idea that we're going to go down there and dislodge Putin from Crimea because we want to do it is ridiculous. And it's a waste of resources, probably a large waste of lives, and has a very, very dangerous chance of getting us involved in a shooting war with boots on the ground. And so I, I have, Kristen, I, I don't know, I mean, I'll ask you what you think, but I, I just think the fact of the matter is, I want, I, I want Ukraine to basically be preserved. But at the end of every war, you don't get to go take territory back if the guy's a little bit bigger and still has it. I mean, what do you right. think? I think you're I think you're right. Um, all along, it, you know, it's what Omar Bradley said about the Korean War, the wrong war at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong enemy. It doesn't mean we didn't have to fight it. Uh, you know, obviously, it was territory occupied by the U.S. South Korea um, gets invaded. You can't just uh, not do anything. But similarly with Ukraine, I'm not arguing for not doing anything. But the idea that, you know, this that somehow we can go right up to the Russian border, not risk provoking a larger war, not risk them seeing it as just clearly being at war with the United States. I mean, it's our weapons, our intelligence and targeting, I assume, um, our command and control, our money. Uh, it, uh, it, it's, it's unlikely that Russia would do something foolish like initiate a nuclear war. But uh, you never know. People do foolish things in war. It's, it's a big risk. And I think most Americans would agree the primary risk of the United States is China uh, and that um, putting more forces in the Pacific to deter it, whether those go into to, to Taiwan or, or in Japan or uh, elsewhere into the Philippines, so it's a treaty ally, et cetera. You know, we're, we're neglecting that. And people run around saying people from heritage and elsewhere that, oh, well, you know, we're deterring China by showing them that we're going to stick up for an ally, Ukraine. No, Ukraine technically is not an ally. We had no alliance with them. Um, and I don't know. I think China probably cares more about the order of battle it sees in the Pacific than about whether Atlanticists in the foreign policy establishment in Washington uh, really want to stick it to the Russians. Um, so, uh, yeah, let me no, ask I see you a question. Mm -hmm. I mean, let me ask you a question, and this is, uh, this is grossly cynical on my part, but do you think that some part of this in Washington, D.C., in Europe is basically, almost earlier we were talking about, basically people who have not mattered for the last 15 years are 20 years since Iraq and Afghanistan and 9-11 trying to matter once again? In other words, the Atlantic people, the NATO people coming back. Am I, am I too cynical? No, you're absolutely right. And it's the EUR, which is the code for the Europe Bureau at the State Department, which is also mirrored by the CIA, which is also mirrored by the National Security Council. Uh, you know, it's this group and it's, uh, you know, they say this, oh, well, this is a big deal. This is the first or the biggest war in Europe since 1945. It's like, okay. Um, it's not insignificant, but the, it's it's sort of a Europe first foreign policy. 
um, you know, that mattered. And in the 20th century, Europe, the only democracies really outside of the United States, Australia, and New Zealand, uh, a huge part of the world's industrial capability, a huge part of the world's intellectual capability. If you look at sort of knowledge, uh, what would later become as knowledge industries, they just didn't exist outside of Europe and the US. That's just no longer the case. Um, and yeah, the that you see some of the harkening back to, oh, the, the you know, the, the World War II coalition or the Cold War coalition. And so like, I don't know if that actually is applicable if you look at, at our interest today. Look, I mean, getting rid of Putin would be fun. I, I happen to believe some of the other people I've talked to that basically, as long as Putin's fighting, he's actually stronger than he was if they'd stopped fighting. In other words, you know, I'm, I'm one of these ones that like, okay, Basically, I'm sorry, you don't get all these pieces of territory back. Let's have a ceasefire. Let's negotiate and let's massively strengthen the Ukrainian economy. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I guess they, hopefully we'll get at least 70 percent of what we ship over to them because they steal the rest, um, you know, which which is, is devastating, is devastating to their cause. I mean, that's really you know, people over here just think you're going to ignore that. People are not ignoring that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is this is their equivalent of the uh, of the uh, um, Emiratis dancing the nights in Paris. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, this all this money disappearing, eggs being purchased for four times what they go on the market, all these things, you know, the corruption, all this stuff. And, you know, I, I think that's a huge issue for them. But I will say, look, I think Putin cannot be allowed to take this. I think if he took this, he'll probably push someplace else. But I think that Putin, I don't think the idea that we're going to be able to have a country of 44 million, even people are saying, well, now we're sending 200 tanks. No, we're not. We're sending 31. The Germans will probably close to match that. Probably not 20. They'll probably get 30 or 40 tanks from other people. And what do you do after those tanks show up in, say, May or June? And then they're all wiped out by, say, September. Mm -hmm. And they still haven't taken, they still haven't taken. Why do we think the Russians will be any worse at anti-tanks, considering their history? I mean, they were pretty good at stopping the Germans. You know what I'm saying? I think that's something the Russians are pretty good at. Is, is, and and, and, and how, why do we think that they're gonna, our guys are going to have any more, are the Ukrainians are going to have any more success? I, I think you're just putting steel and I think you're just blowing up steel. That's fine. Let's let's see what they do. But after this one, you know, now they're going, well, we need F-16s. Oh, yeah. Putin's going to let you basically fly F-16s 200 miles into Russia and bomb stuff. Yeah, right. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. The other thing that's crazy, too, is, all right, say NATO does come in and the U.S. does come in. Do we really think we're going to get rid of Putin? We're going to push back into Mother Russia? I don't think so. I don't think that's going to happen. And I, I think I think a lot of this really is coming down to, you know, I mean, and then the worst thing of all that happens is basically everything a year and a half from now works out. Zelensky probably loses an election. They always do. You know what I'm saying? People put him out. And then we get a pro-Russian government like we get in Iraq. And it, once again, you know what I'm saying? You know, that's mm -hmm. it. I, I would prefer, I just, I just see so many options. But let me get back to the main point. The main point continues to be we are ignoring Asia. Yeah. We need to get weapons out there. We need to get the Taiwanese working on things. 
we need we need to get things happening now. And I think that's going to be hopefully that's going to be something that picks up, you know. Yeah. You know, one of the interesting things with Russia is there's been an argument that their demographics are terrible and they would be in a, their country in decline. And maybe that's true longer term, although the amount of, of energy they produce um, without shame has has certainly um, sustain them in this conflict and, and, and left them in a pretty decent uh, situation. Question though, shifting to Asia, China recently, I believe, had to concede something that we've talked about here, that they're, no, first of all, no longer the biggest country, that is India now, um, but also that the population decline is more significant than, um, than first uh, sort of discussed and first, first reported. Uh, and that's a big deal, especially if you contrast it with some of the, I mean, there's some other parts of Asia where demographics are scary, like in Japan with the shrinking population. Um, but other parts uh, in Southeast Asia, you have strong population growth, or at least uh, fertility rates that show confidence by the population in its future. So what, what do you think are the key takeaways from that picture? Prime Minister of Japan the other day said that basically Japan risks becoming a non-functioning society because of the lack of birth rate. The Japanese have done a little bit better job than Korea and China, of course, in basically finding some migration, immigration north, but it's nowhere near enough. And it's also a, a, skewed, demigration, a skewed demographic. In other words, it's mostly men. And, and so they're bringing men in there and those hopefully those and those men are not. Hopefully they're not, they're, they're, they're marrying, but they're not, they're generally not bringing their families. I think Japan is attractive enough a society where they can probably turn it around. Um, they hopefully could, their, their birth rate now is about 1.2, 1.3, I think 1.2. I think they can turn it around. I think all societies have to learn how to uh, 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 basically older pe people get married a little bit older. Um, the women's movement's a huge issue, to be perfectly honest with you all over. I mean, women do not want to have, some don't, most don't want to have five kids and sit at home. They want to do a lot of different things. But how people get comfortable with that, we'll have to see. I think Japan's a lot further along the road than other people. In other words, I think they've been going at this a little while longer. But it's a massive problem. Taiwan, on the other hand, living there, I can tell you it's an incredibly immature society. And in terms of, and I'll say that and I'll say it, it's an incredibly immature society in terms of how they look at population growth. Um, the answer you tend to get there is very much a hipster answer. Like I wanna do what I wanna do. I don't wanna be captured by the patriarchy and all that stuff. And it's like, look, no, one of the issues they have is just that really there is not a lot of interest there in having children. And I don't know what it is, uh, it tends to be skewed up towards the up middle class and upper folks who are not having kids. I, I would say you probably find um, in the middle class and below, you're probably closer to the 1.5 to two for, from what I've been told and what I've seen in terms of births, you know what I'm saying? But basically the society itself is not friendly to population growth, both through having babies and also through immigration. Taiwan is still a closed society. It's, it's, it's by far the most closed society in all of Asia to immigration. And that means they're not growing. And if you're not growing, you know, how do you handle, how do you, how do you innovate? What are you gonna, how do you take care of people? Taiwan is probably shrinking right now. I mean, they, just like China, they play a game all the time. 
but it's pretty obvious to me that through migration and some other things, it's shrinking. Um, China, on the other hand, wow. China just showed up and said, by the way, we got one million less people. I tend to agree with Mr. Fu, who's at the University of Wisconsin, kind of out there a little bit in how he makes his pronouncements. You know, he's a mad scientist in my mind, but he's not wrong. And I think I think we're actually looking at a China that's not 1.4 billion people. I think it's much closer to 1.35 or below, you know, 1.3 to 1.35, because it's been going down for a while. Now, here's the thing I'm going to make. This year, they're down 900,000. Let's just say they're down a million because we know they cheat. They're down a million this year. Next year, from what I understand, they're going to be down about 1.4 million based on the schedules. Year after that, they're going to be down close to 2 million if it keeps going the way it is. So by 2030, easily by 2030, they're going to be down every year 3.5 million people. In other words, and then, then it's going to, 2030, it's going to accelerate because of the age difference. So then you're going to start losing in 2030, 5 million, 6 million, 7 million people a year. Imagine what that does to real estate markets. Imagine what that does to universities. In 2015, you had 17 million babies born. In 2023, okay, in 2023, you had 10 million born. I'm sorry, 2016. So in seven years or eight years, you've gone from 17 million down to, say, 9.5 million. All those kids, think of all these kids who are in the first grade now or the second grade now. Say there's 15 million kids. Seven years from now in the first grade, there's only going to be 9.5 million kids. Imagine what that does to your school system. People go, oh, well, there'll be more money for it. No, that's not the way it works. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's really a problem. And so I'll, I'll ask you what you think. I mean, you know, it's like uh, you need to have another baby too, by the way. I'm, 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 do, I'm doing <laughs> one by one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become the old Italian grandmother walking around going, where's the baby? Where's the bambino? You know, but, <laughs> but no, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge it's a huge problem, and it's kind of like nobody wants to talk about it. But, I mean, you know, I always tell people the day Procter & Gamble downgraded their baby formulas and went into dog food, pet food, oh, my God, what does that tell you? Yeah, that's, well, and the, the country where this is most acute, I think, is actually Korea. It, it, it's yeah. sort of toward the top of the list. Taiwan is up there, too. And you sort of wonder, it's a prosperous society. You think you could, in particular, afford to give families a, a break, too, to, tax-wise, or create other incentives. I don't know if they've done much of that, but it's it's sort of a sign of a, of a sick society, of something wrong, where, where people aren't wanting to bring children yeah. uh, into things. Um, and, and, and it's, you know, it's really I, something that we have to address with women. We have to address because men will go along with it. I hate to say it, it's the way it is, but we have to address <laughs> with women. We have to address with families. Why don't you want children? Look, in America, the pro-life movement, you know, I'll just tangent real quick. I'm always in a tangent, but a tangent. Because the pro-life movement is starting to go to the free birth. In other words, if you have a baby, everything's free for the first year. The government pays for everything. Mm -hmm. I think that's a pretty good idea. Yeah. So no do more I. excuses that you can't afford anything. We need kids. That's fine. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if we needed a factory someplace, we'd give them tax incentives. Well, we need babies. 
So let's start, let's start, let's start doing that. And then watch, then watch, change the incentives in society. In Taiwan and in Korea and in Japan, quite frankly, now in fairness, school is free. I mean, people talk about you got to go to a good school. That's not so much true anymore. And we've seen that. And the governors in the states are basically getting rid of college degrees to be able to hold a job. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, in other words, and that's because they, they can't fill positions because if people don't have a college degree. So what's going to happen is and if you can, I can, you can make the argument in Taiwan and Japan. Everybody says, well, you have to have a job. You have to have a job. Well, you do, but it doesn't mean that, you know, you have to go to the most expensive, prestigious school anymore. You can go to a normal school and you can graduate and you can have a decent job and the family will be fine. You know, does it make does it make for a more socialized socialistic society? I'm not so sure. But Kristen, the problem is for business people, and this is China's problem. The worm has turned. The great China story, where you've got to be in China because it's growing, growing, growing. That's a good well, point. Well, in 2030, I think a funeral home you have to be in China, and I think in other places you have to be in China. Right. But you may not need to be in China for growth. And that's why, quite frankly, I mean, I've seen it out there. People are switching to Southeast Asia. They are switching to, um, they are switching to uh, 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 even Singapore, Malaysia. Um, um, Vietnam is having birth problems now. By the way, they're they're not growing as rapidly as they were. Myanmar is growing still. Bangladesh is growing still. Muslim countries are growing, and of course, the Philippines is about two point four. But let me tell you something. I looked at that the other day. The Philippines is 2.4. When I was in the Philippines in the early 90, in the, in the late 90s, the Philippines was like 4.6, 4.5. And just to clarify, so that's the fertility rate for women. So you need about 2.1 to maintain a population if you don't have immigration. That's right. It used to be 2.2, but then we've gotten better at saving, saving mortality and things like that. But yeah, 2.1 to replace society. It's, 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 it's really the Malthusians. The Malthusians just don't. I mean, n- never have they been more wrong about anything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and we ne- we need people. And I think the real issue is is that you know what's going to happen. I mean, who knows? I mean, I, I I won't see it. But you know, I'm 59, so let's say I let's say I make it another 20 years. Possible, I guess. Um, if I make it another 20 years, I mean, we're going to see a China that is basically, in all seriousness. About one based if you took their number of one point four million this year, it's gonna be a country that's basically about twenty years from now, it's gonna be about one point two billion. Mm-hmm. Imagine two hundred million less people. You know, that's a yeah, lot that's, of people. Yeah. And, well, and it's also the trend. I mean, when you move to a city that's growing, you can feel it instantly. You see, you know, new houses going up, cranes in the sky. Um and right. uh, you contrast that with, you know, with New York or L.A. or Detroit in, 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 in the extreme example. And you just even if the decline is small, you feel it magnified so much more than it actually is. I, I, I am not sure there'll be a real estate industry in China five years from now. That's I think what will happen is Sorry, I think what will happen is we'll have a replacement industry. And what I mean by that is, mm-hmm. is people will simply be replaced. In other words, a building will come down or they'll put it up. And instead of it being 900 square feet, it'll be 1,400 square feet. But it'll be the same cost. <laughs> Interesting. You know, I, I, I'm telling you, I just, I don't, I don't, you know, I mean, 
Somebody told me the other day, and I don't know if I believe it or not. They said there are 6 million empty flats in China. And then I thought about it. I go, that seems like a lot. But then somebody in the little snap group came back and whatever it is, the group came back and said, well, it doesn't really matter if it's six million. If it's half that, it's, it's a disaster. Mm -hmm. If it's if it's a non-growing market, that, that's what her point. Her point was, is that if you were growing in three million, that's inventory that's going up. But if it's three million and the, and the, and the demand's going down, well, then it goes to 3.2 million, 3.4 million, 3.6 million. You know, then, you, you know, at, at that point in time, it's the trend. Everything's the trend. Right, know, right. Maybe we won't yes. have homeowners anymore from now. You know what I'm saying? By the same token, if you look at the U.S., you know, you people are going to keep coming. You know? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Well, <laughs> there's no doubt about that. If yeah. you look at our, our southern border, uh, and of course, those people are all cutting in line ahead of uh, people with uh, you know skills and resources around the world who would love to move here tomorrow yeah. if they could. No. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, so we'll see, we'll see the importance. I mean, you know, you, you were, you, you know, Mike Gallagher pretty well and, you know, look what Gallagher's, you know, the Asia Pacific is, is coming up and demographics will be on his slate. What do you see out of that committee? What do you see out of the committee from Mike Gallagher? Right, and coming this, up? Yeah, this is the new house committee on China. It has a more formal name. It's actually focused on sort of the risk posed by the CCP. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's impressive. It's impressive. I think that, um, that the Speaker McCarthy chose Gallagher. He's beginning his fourth term in Congress, was elected in 2016. That's still fairly young for a congressman. He's a young guy. He's, he's in his, I think he's 38. Um, former Marine. I met him first on the Scott Walker campaign where he ran foreign policy. Um, and uh, it's it shows, I think, a recognition that while a lot of people, it's it's hard to find allies of China who are who are open about it in Congress, but Congress hasn't really been a driving force in shaping uh, deterrence to China, getting tough on China, getting uh, cracking down on their influence operations in the U.S. and around the world. Um, you have, uh, you know, there's a reason why why in the Trump administration, you know, I, I remember hearing Bob Lighthizer, the U.S. trade representative, talk about this, why they didn't go to Congress and ask Congress to enact tariffs on China, because Congress never would have done it. So they had to um, you know, use Section 301 and 232. 301 is sort of the unfair trade. 232, the national security stuff. That was more steel and aluminum. Uh, but they had to do it through executive actions uh, because there's still enough people, uh, at least with influence in the country, who, who push on Capitol Hill saying, oh, you know, China will only be an enemy if we make you an enemy and trade will push them down the road towards responsibility uh, and, and economic freedom will lead to political freedom. Some of those were good theories worth trying, I think, but they were wrong. Um, and I think yeah, you know, I was someone wrong. like you knew they were long a lot time, a long time, sort of, you know, I'd say you knew they were wrong. The American people knew they were wrong. And only more recently <laughs> is our political class catching yeah, up. No, that's right. The Gallagher Committee Very is least. a sign that the political class is catching up. I, I agree with you. I think the other thing that's happened too is, is, and this is part of Ukraine, Russia, and a more dangerous and a more even world with the Chinese is that we, one of the things that really happened since the end of the Cold War was, and I always say this, is we flittered and we fluttered, you know, like they say in the sound of music, flitter and flutter. And the, what, what the point being is, is that because at the end of the Cold War, basically we didn't really have any major problems. Let's be perfectly honest here. George Bush got us into the drug. We had the drug war. Okay. But that, that wasn't apocalyptic. Um, 9-11, awful event, horrible event. But the, but the place of the nation in the world was not in, in jeopardy. 
And, you know, and very quickly we established that. I mean, literally within a year it was established, you know, that the U.S. was basically the dominant military power by far. And, you know, we went as in your terms and we started playing cowboys and Indians throughout um, the Middle East. But it was it, there was very little chance that the that the United States was going to be displaced as the global power in that time. With this alliance between Russia and China, there's a real chance that we could be displaced. And what that has done, I think, in America, and I think suddenly, I think basically the ass clowns are leaving the stage. The unserious people are leaving the stage. The uh, DEI de equity people who are in foreign policy. I'm not kidding you. I met somebody about a year ago and she think her, her whole thing on foreign policy was equity and inclusion. And I had this, I was looking at her. I had the same look at her that a guy at the Taliban would be looking at her. I'm going like, what? You know, I bonded with the Taliban at that moment going like, are you kidding me? You know, are you kidding me? She was talking about, you know, how we have to promote equity in Afghanistan. This was like, I'm sorry, this was like a, a, two months after Afghanistan fell, you know what I'm saying? And she was there, she was there talking about how she was there to promote equity and inclusion in Afghanistan. And I'm going like, what? Are we teaching the women how to fire a machine gun? Cause that's what they need. But the point is, is like, it's taken our system a while to kick these, kicking these people out. It's like the World Economic Forum. What a bunch of ass clowns over there. I mean, they are, they're a bunch of jerk offs. You look at, they don't have any power. You know, literally a county commissioner in New York City is more legitimate as a leader than any of them, with the exception of the elected officials who choose to waste their time there. Mm -hmm. Who cares what some unelected person means? Or somebody who doesn't rule by the power of the gun. Those people matter too. I don't like them to matter, but they matter. So my point is, I think Gallagher is a reestablishment in the body politic of seriousness. Like I actually consider Menendez a pretty serious guy, to be honest with you. I've I've dealt with him a couple of times. He's a pretty serious guy. Uh, Even Ferris Bob Romney's Menendez, school. the uh, chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Yeah, he and Reese are pretty serious people. They're 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 not unserious. They're not unserious people. But I mean, you know, before like in House Committee Meeks, really, you know, I mean these 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 jobs were just traded around and they were still doing things. I can't see under McCarthy or I think in the future, even under the Democrats, where we're going to start to get basically the whole diversity caucus going. If you've noticed the White House, the national security team over there is becoming less and less diverse and more and more ability oriented. People don't like to hear that. I'm sure I'll get grief for that. But quite, quite frankly, they have some very good people over there, but they do not meet the quota that you see in other parts of the uh, Biden administration. And I think that's because they understand the seriousness of what's going on. I think the foreign policy community is essentially starting to catch up. Domestic, not soon. I think we'll see it pretty soon, thanks to all the crime in the U.S. You know, we just saw the mayor of Atlanta decide that he's not going to tolerate little rich kids. And I think what we're going to see in, in, and I think Gallagher to me, if I was a foreign, if I was an enemy, I'd be looking at Gallagher going, oh, crap. They got a Marine. He's a serious guy and he's putting serious people on his committee. You know, he's he's not looking for he's not looking for uh, for ridiculous things. It's just like McCarthy kicked up. Uh, I mean, I thought it was brilliant the way McCarthy kicked off Swalwell and uh, and what's Schiff. I thought especially it was Schiff, yeah. he said, well, both of them. But yeah, especially it was, it was Schiff, brilliant how he did it, though, Christian, because what he did is he said, 
I'm not going to interfere with anything that you can, you, you serve anywhere you want, but you are not trustworthy. I mean, what an insult. What an insult. I wonder, I think Schiff will be fine because in his district, I wonder if Swalwell survives. Hmm. You know, he almost got a challenge last time and they beat it back because they wanted to keep the seat. But his seat's a secure Democratic seat. Maybe it's time for him to go someplace else. You know, yeah. maybe you can go, go go and live with Fang Fang or Fifi or go whatever the hell. Name is. <laughs> yeah. I was watching. I'm, that's that's the funniest thing. I had a guy working for me one time. I'm not kidding you. I had a guy working for me like oh, it must have been 12 years ago. He was an assistant director for one of our animation units. This guy, I was I looked like Cary Grant compared to this guy. Okay, I was he's completely. You know, I'm as ugly as a mutt, and this guy was just not that. He had this young assistant that was working for him. She was a, like a five foot 11 tall, beautiful young woman. You know what I'm saying? And he was everywhere she went. He was always wore. She wore very provocative outfits. I actually had to, one of my assistants actually sent a memo to her to say, you know, your shorts should at least cover your ass. And, you know, and, 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 and that's it. But the thing is, is like everybody knew, everybody knew. And, and I'm sitting here and I'm going like, well, if everybody knows and he's married and what am I going to do? And I mean, I know what to do. I just called him in and I said, look, you know, I can't tell you not to have somebody because that hurts her. Um, but you can't have her. You know, in other words, it's 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 too gross. Everybody knew. I since learned with Swalwell and Fang Fang that everybody knew. And the reason why I know is a Democratic member of Congress made a joke to me about it. So they all knew. Everybody knew. You know, mm -hmm. They knew who he was with. They knew what he was doing. I, I feel so sorry for the guy's wife. So he's not a serious man. I mean, that's the whole thing with him. And that's how somebody could run against him in the primary. I think somebody from the left, I think Swalwell could be taken out by a, uh, uh, a, a left-wing woman. You know, that's who I would take him out with if I was there. He, 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 he votes for the progressives, everything they want. But, I mean, it's, it's, he's a little creepy. But anyway, yeah. and then the, we'll have our final subject, which I love. Yes, I'm, I've been waiting for this. M&M's. Peanut butter M&M's, it looks right there. Okay, here's what happened. Everybody knows. M&M's basically made these little guys here woke. Okay, now this is not a go woke, go broke segment. I'm not complaining about this. What I'm talking about is international business. These guys, anywhere you go in Asia, these little guys are everywhere. You go to... You go to duty free, you go everywhere. The, this is the kid's gift that you give. It is literally probably a billion dollar franchise, those little guys. So somebody in the wisdom of Mars Group, which by the way is a private group, if it was a public group, there'd be loss, there'd be shareholder lawsuits right now, but it's a private company. And somebody approved for them to go woke. So they had like International Women's Day and all this stuff. So somebody got in there, somebody approved it. And Tucker Carlson just ripped them to shreds. The family, the Mars family is a Virginia family. They're an old Virginia family. I wouldn't say they're, they're, they're conservatives, you know what I'm saying? But they're old money. They didn't like it. They knew it was hurting it. The sales were actually hurting. They started to hurt the sales. So they came up with Maya Brown or whatever, Maya, whatever her name is, the Saturday Night Live star to replace these guys. But this is my point to everybody. This is a billion dollar franchise and they just took a hit because somebody became woke and inter 
change the whole relationship to M&Ms. First of all, as a fat person, I eat M&Ms because I like them. <laughs> I happen to know that most other fat people eat M&Ms because they like them. I know most children eat M&Ms because they like them. I know most children like to play with these because they like them. Even overweight women like the candy. They don't really care that it's purple. So who in their right mind inside a company destroyed this brand? It'll be interesting to see what happens. My bet is we will see these little guys everywhere overseas. But domestically in the U.S., everyone's going to be looking at like this woman from Saturday Night Live. Everybody's going to think it's so funny. The most amazing thing is how business journalists at CNN and other places cover this because they make it a battle about Tucker Carlson. This is a billion-dollar mistake. This is their equivalent in the candy industry of new Coke. Oof. And it's Mars is well, an let's international. Let's not say anything we can't take back now unless you're truly serious there. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, it I'm is. kidding. It yes. is. Look, I'm telling you, you, you go to New York City, you go to the Mar you go to the stores, even the even some of the big, you know, the, the M&M stores they have in New York City. There's not a picture of an actress from Saturday Night Live there selling M&Ms. There's these little guys, right? You know, which, by the way, I, I ate them all. Um, you know, so I, I took <laughs> them out as part of my research. But the yeah. thing is, is that so I, I, I just my point to people is, is like, you know, guaranteed. I, I tried to figure it out. It's hard to, but M&Ms are at least three billion dollars a year in sales, mm -hmm. of which two billion dollars is easily overseas. And and they basically somebody somebody in your department, somebody in your company goes, oh, I have an idea. Let's put somebody in purple. Let's change the shoes so they're less sexist. OK, and let's destroy market value. Now, if this was a public listed company, you'd see Jim Cramer on CNN and other people going, who's the person who did this? What agency do we fire? That's it. Of course, Mars will cover their ass. You right. know, although I bet internally somebody took a fall for this. But really, it's 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 really an amazing, an amazing thing. By the way, Tucker Carlson lives out there in horse country. Apparently, he knows the Mars. That was a background. He know they they travel in the same social circles. Interesting. So he, it's well, he, just when he, it's when he was taking the lack apart, of an ability of some manager to say, uh, "You want to yeah. do what with our brand that's successful?" You know, we make chocolate. We're not leading some social crusade here. We can leave that to other people. You remember that Maybe old Mel Brooks like movie? The old Mel Brooks movie. It's one of the great. It's, it's where he's Helen Hunter's in or something like that, and it's like, you know, he's he's the advertising guy. He does all the beer and all the commercials. You know what I'm saying? And he's like, "We're selling beer. That's all we're doing is selling beer. We need beautiful women." <laughs> in tight pants, that's how you sell beer. And you know, and she's trying to do, and she, then he's selling trucks and cars and she's trying to do the new trucking car thing. By the way, I'll get in trouble again. Prediction coming up. Greg Gutfeld makes fun of it all the time and he's not wrong. Gutfeld's talking about how if you watch a football weekend and watch the commercials, you'd think 50% of America is African-American, 60%. And that's because all these companies are going woke and they do not want to get attacked. You know, I'm, I'm associated with two companies that advertise moderately heavily. Both have both have multi-million dollar budgets. And I can tell you both companies for their ads have essentially one of them, a healthcare company for old people, is contacted by these actor equity groups. Why don't you have African and they they cave? They all cave. 
I don't get involved. I don't care that much. I mean, but you know, but because the businesses are really doing well, but, but the thing is, is that, you know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't impact the business, but you see how it gets into your business and your business thought and things like that. I think and, that's and I think it's end. important to point out that if you're actually trying to help, I mean, uh, at some point we have to go back and look at, well, since George Floyd, all of these woke things that have been done, have they helped black people? I mean, what, what do black people really need? Well, maybe it's not for me to say, but my guess would be more capital, intergenerational wealth, intact families, no. uh, the things that traditionally make people rich over time. I'm glad the NCAA has been forced to pay some uh, athletes in college, I think. You know, if you could overnight create a couple thousand black billionaires, that's a good thing. But uh, putting different colored M&Ms and bags and preaching to people, sort of like with uh, the rainbow flag, I'm gay. Never really liked the rainbow flag. My flag is the U.S. flag. But, um, you know, a lot of establishments have added brown and black colors to it. I'm like, you know that the rainbow colors didn't represent skin color. No one has purple skin. No one has bright orange skin, although Donald Trump came close. <laughs> so, so why are you adding this? It's just, you know, all of the symbolism, someone has to at some point say, oh, wait, hey, let's go back and look. Has this actually helped uh, minorities, I, especially blacks? I, I had the greatest teacher for LGBT marketing because of some of the products we had and things like that. And he told me one thing, and I thought it was really good. And he always, I loved Colin for telling me, he taught me a lot. He said, Mark, gay men shop at Home Depot too. And what we learned was with, and you know, I mean, I worked in media, uh, media, entertainment, um, um, hospitality. I mean, these are industries with large numbers of, of LGBTQ people in them, or, you know, LGBTQ is when you're that there. And these, I've always found that basically the good the good people at marketing to that community know that. In other words, you don't have to walk down the street and have the giant flag. You know what I'm saying? You don't right. have to. What you have to do is you have to let people know that we're with you. We can, you know, in other words, we're going to be there if you need us for something. You know, for example, I'll give you an example. Like, you know, um, in the entertainment group we're in, you know, basically somebody came to us in Hong Kong. We're not in it anymore. They came to us. And they wanted to start having a, a basically videos for the gay community. And we funded it. Okay. Commercially, it was not that great because it's not a huge gay community. You know what I'm saying? They did get a lot of ads, though. I will give them that. But the point being is, is that what you do is you have to be open to it. But you did, they, the funny thing I liked about these guys is they didn't fly the pride flag. They just basically everybody knows, you know, what it is. I'll tell you who also taught me a lot about that, too was LVMH, same thing. Now, LVMH has got a, a, a very large percentage of their employees, not a large percentage, but a large, a large minority of their percentage are, 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 are gay, are in the gay community. Uh -huh. Do you ever see, I mean, other than you see a special bag, you know what I'm saying? Every once in a while, they'll do something for Pride Week or something like that, but they go out and they market to people. And it's the same thing with the African-American community. And the Hispanic community, I, same thing goes for pickup trucks. African-American guys and Hispanic guys want the same thing in a pickup truck, okay, that a white guy wants. Maybe they want a better stereo system, okay? But, you know, the simple fact of the matter is, is these guys want the same thing. They want a good pickup truck. So you just got to go out there and meet people in the marketplace. And that's the problem with this. Nobody was asking for this. You solved no problems. You didn't make a better candy. You didn't do anything. All you did was make some Christian family look down and go, 
why am I buying their product? Why right. am I so why am be... I buying their thing? Yes. So you, know, you as someone you who something. is committed to uh, racial equality and treating people with dignity can get preached at by a company that's supposed to make chocolate, but is deciding to <laughs> lecture you. The other thing, too, is there's a million competitors for these guys. In other words, if you've let's say you've got these parents who see all this woke stuff. Hey, look, I don't buy Gillette products. No, that was actually, I, I, I want to thank Gillette for going woke as I switched to, is it Harry's? And those razors, yeah. once you get used to them, they last so much longer and they're so much cheaper. Oh my God, and I think so Gillette or Schick tried to buy them and they were stopped on antitrust grounds. Yeah. Um, you know, you know and, who also, uh, yes, razors you, aren't bad. I, uh, that Daily, the Daily Wire guy, whatever his name is, Ben Shapiro's guy. Sure. Uh -huh. They're a little flimsy. They're not as good as the Harry's razors, but I bought them. Because I, mm -hmm. I, I keep raising, I have three different houses, so I just keep them in different spots. But yeah, I won't buy it because I saw that Gillette thing and I'm going like, good Lord, they think that of us? They really yeah. think that about us? I'm going like, <laughs> why would I Why would I give you my business? You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like Elon Musk. I'll give you a final thing before I go is there's a myth about Elon Musk, the myth about Elon Musk on Twitter with thing. Elon Musk is opening up electronic vehicles to men who would never consider them before because Elon is their hero. So God, Teslas are selling because of Twitter. I'm telling you right now, I know my marketing. Huh. If you, you think guys who would not consider, who would look at it and go, oh, whatever, you know, they have all the derogatory terms for it. You know, they see it out there and they see this technological genius, you know what I'm saying, who's built this thing and they respect it. They don't see it as this earth hugger material thing right. which by the way is to his credits not how he markets it you know he markets right, no, it zero to a, 60 it's, a, it's seconds. a cool car it's sort of like you know the iphone version of the yeah. car it's expensive uh doesn't necessarily great for cold climates like the one i live in if you have to drive far but uh, yeah but, all right well as you point out that's all the time we have for this episode sorry about the dragon one <laughs> we'll be back again soon thanks <laughs>